0: The Civil War was and is an incredibly painful moment in the history of our country. Uh, I've already said this to you, I need to say it again. Of all of our wars, the Civil War's name is misleading. The Civil War was not civil. It was bloody. It was brutal. The sons and fathers and brothers, they killed their own family members as battle lines were drawn and sides were chosen. Families were sp- split and divided. This civil war that we see in our history only revealed what we'd already seen in the first war. The first war is found there in the first part of Genesis where uh, in paradise a war takes place and uh, paradise is suddenly destroyed by one brother slaying another brother. We literally watched the divide that continues to take place uh, in what we call civil wars. We watched it play out on TV this week. This week we watched as a son chased a father around a Brahms because a son and a father didn't and were unable to navigate relationship. And a knife was drawn and blood was shed and the lessons that we learned from Genesis and the lesson we learned from our own national history we see played out again and that is this, those closest to you can inflict the, the deepest and the most damaging wounds we don't know how to navigate relationships. It's proven week over week after week and day after day that those that we're supposed to be in the deepest relationship with are also the source many times of our greatest pain. Jesus says it like this. He says that it's impossible to not go through life and and experience war it's absolutely impossible there are going to be days where there's going to be conflict there's going to be offense there's going to be pain there's going to be bloodshed the crazy thing about jesus though is that at in the very moment it's almost like he's in involved in doublespeak he's not He's trying to be honest and truthful with us, but it's almost like he's talking out both sides of his mouth. We know he never lied, but but it's kind of confusing almost. It seems like a contradiction because in one breath, he says, it's impossible that you go through life without bloodshed and war and conflict and offense. And then in the next breath, it almost seems like he says, he says, well, but when you're involved in hand-to-hand contact and you've got face-to-face conflict, turn the other cheek. Really, thank you a lot, Jesus. Appreciate your ministry. Yeah. Uh, He goes on and he says, listen, resist the urge to hit back. That's what he's saying. (laughs) How many of you have to resist the urge? Okay, just me. Okay, just me. I I understand. Uh, When someone places, he says, when someone places unrealistic demands on you, Ever had that happen? Someone they they assign to you unrealistic expectations. Like I want flowers every date. I want I want to. Okay, some of y'all some of y'all are getting it now. I, I I I want you to always be at your best. I want every time I come home, I want you like the full makeup done and and and. See, some of y'all don't have okay. Some of y'all being realistic, but but unrealistic demands. He says when that happens, then what I want you to do is I want you when they're saying give you my shirt, then what what then what I really want you to do is I want you to give them everything you're wearing. He says when they say to you uh, go one mile, he goes oh no that's we're, we're going to go above and beyond that go two miles. So it's it's like this double speak. Jesus, I'm, you're you're saying we're going to be in a war, and so we're supposed to like. Like, in a war, we're supposed to, like, defend ourselves, and then at the very next breath, turn the other cheek, go an extra mile, give them all your clothes. I don't like you very much right now, Jesus. Because it doesn't make sense. Except for the fact that Jesus understood that it's possible, and not only is it possible because of how he responded to conflict and war. How many of you know Jesus was involved in some conflict? All you got to do is read when he takes uh, some string and builds a whip and runs into the synagogue and drives the money changers out. All you got to do is read about his crucifixion, standing in front of Pilate, never saying a word when he's being falsely accused. Jesus not only talks about the conflict, but he models for us that it is possible to, although you're involved in war, have peace. Well, Paul comes on the scene and it's his instructions on peace that we want to talk about because Paul backs up what Jesus says. Much later, but, but he comes behind Jesus' example, and now he talks about the ability to have peace. This is what he says. We're going to look at several passages this morning from Paul, one in particular, and then we'll come to another in a, in a moment. But some lessons we need to learn. Romans chapter 12. Uh, It's a passage that I've read to you before in our climate change series. I mentioned this. You'll remember that there were 17 characteristics of kingdom climate. And so uh, some of them we had to pass over quickly. We're going to land on this one this morning because peace is one of the kingdom characteristics and climates that we must have. He says this in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. How many of you know that's a heavy load right there? Try to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Now, here, here we go. Here's where you start. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How many of you, this is like your life verse, your favorite verse in the whole Bible? Anybody? I don't like this verse very much, but it's truth. We can't just skim over it. I love Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I just don't like Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19 very much because he says, if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some lessons this morning as we begin to talk about Peace. The, the first thing that I think that uh, Paul is trying to uh, get in, into our minds is this, is that it is absolutely essential that we fight for peace. That's a, that's a different way of saying things, but literally what Paul is t- teaching us is that we have to fight for peace. I think our dilemma is this, is that when we think about peace, when I think about give peace a chance and I think about peace and getting along with everybody, if we're not careful what we do, when we think about peace, we equate peace with easy. And how many of you know that peace is not always easy, right? Peace is not always easy. That is just not true. Peace is not easy. We we need to listen to what Paul says. He says, if it is possible, if it's possible, that statement Inside of that statement, it infers that there is effort involved in keeping the peace. Some of y'all are thinking about family members right now and, and family reunions. It takes effort to keep the peace, right? There's effort involved. Unfortunately, uh, peace takes hard work. Unfortunately, that uh, peace, unlike war, is not inevitable. Peace is a choice that we make. Peace is something that we work for. It requires concerted time. It takes our energy. It takes our our effort. And honestly, I think that what many of us have come to the conclusion of too is this: we we conclude that that and rightfully so that peace is much harder to obtain than it is to have war. Now, notice I said it's harder. I didn't say it was more costly. It costs us more to have war than it costs us to have peace, but it is oftentimes much harder to have peace than war. And so so because it's hard, I think what takes place is that many of us who spend we spend a lot more energy on fighting than we do on keeping the peace. It's quiet in here. Uh, if we would become invested in contending for peace, I, I think a lot of us are contentious, but we don't contend, okay, if <laughs> we don't contend for peace. Paul said, listen, if it's possible, work at it. Strive at it. Have you ever met anybody that's contentious? Don't don't amen too loud if you're sitting next to them, but have you ever met anybody that's contentious? It's like chaos swirls around them constantly, and they're always in a fight, and if they're not in a fight, they'll start one because they don't know how to live unless they're in conflict. Anybody ever met anybody that will swing at everything and everybody? Anybody know anybody like that? Just me? Just, Just me? I'm the only one? Somebody that's Constantly contingent, constantly at war. Listen, if those folks would learn, I'm talking about them, I'm not talking about you. If those folks would learn to spend and give as much energy at obtaining peace as they do for fighting, they would find peace. But they're comfortable fighting. They're good at fighting. How many of you know you can become very good at fighting? I can still remember in high school, I was the cut-down champion. U.S. History, Gabe Chittum, he lives here in Oklahoma City now. He would always end class early, is lecturing early, and we would spend the last 15 minutes cutting one another down to see who could do the best. I did that. I, y'all, some of y'all don't know me very well, but I'm, I, I tend to be uh, quick, and sometimes I talk before I think. And there was a guy sitting in my U.S. History class that was much larger than me because I weighed 75 pounds in high school, and I was a shrimp, and I was dumb. Uh, because t- Teddy Heffley was sitting in U.S. history class, and after a couple of weeks of me wearing him out, he met me in the hall and said, after school, I am going to destroy you. And I, I've suddenly learned that I'm very good at this, but this isn't very smart. Listen, the underlying truth here is that peace is up to us until a certain point. We have a say-so into whether or not we can live at peace. But we have to work at it. Some people require more effort than others. But we have to work at it. It's up to us. So what happens if the other person won't stop the fight? I know y'all don't know anybody like that either. But let me give you a couple points before and quick reminders before we move on. just, Just some reminders, and then I'll tell you how to deal with folks that like to fight and won't stop fighting. Just, just some reminders. Number one, just as a, some advice this morning, can I tell you that you ought to trust proven character? When it comes to uh, who to fight with and, and who to keep you know, putting your effort out there for, trust proven character. That's why last week I, I, you know, we talked about understanding the difference between a bad heart and a bad day. If they have a proven track record, we call it a track record because it means they have a history. They have a track record, something you can go on. So therefore, if somebody has a bad day, you want to keep peace with them. If they have a bad heart, that's a whole different issue because the most likely if they have a bad heart, they're not going to stop fighting, but if it's a bad day. That's why Pastor Andrew read it on Wednesday night. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, go back and remember the people that have taught you faithfully. Trust them. Trust what they've told you. Don't throw away proven relationships based on a bad day. Was he talking about just the people that stand up and preach? No, he's talking about the people that you're in contact with on a daily basis that you have a trusted, proven track record with. You can trust their character. This requires us, then, like we said last week, that you cannot borrow. Actually, it's two weeks ago. I think you cannot borrow perceptions. You got to go back to the proven source for, of consistency for facts. Here's another passage from Romans that that is put pretty blunt. Paul says in Romans chapter 16 verse 17, he says he's closing the whole book of Romans. Do you know how incredible the book of Romans is? And he's, he's given all this advice to the Christian at Rome, in Rome. And now all of a sudden, he's, he comes into chapter 16 and he's going to wrap it all up. and he, And he says, these are my final words of counsel. This is pretty significant stuff. He says this in verse 17. One final word of counsel, friends. Keep a sharp eye out for those who take bits and pieces of the teaching that you have learned and then use them to make trouble. Okay, this is going over huge. He says, "Give these people a wide berth." <laughs> they have the intention of living they they do not have the in, intention of living for our master uh, Christ. They only in this for what we they can get out of it and aren't above using pious sweet talk to dupe unsuspecting innocents. what happens people get a little bit of the word and they use it when it's convenient so what you've got to do is you've got to rely then on trusted and proven character the second thing I want to say to you is that you've got to exhaust every effort. That's a key word. There's two key words. Exhaust every. Exhaust speaks to the work involved. Every is this deep theological word that we need to get to the bottom line of. Okay? In Greek, in the deep Greek scrolls found in some cave somewhere, the the Greek word for every Relates to that deep word that I've talked to you about before, all. I'm playing. I don't know what it is in Greek. I didn't look it up. Uh, Every is deep because it means every. All, every. Okay. Uh, See, I think our biggest issue here is that we let ourselves off the hook. We try, but, but, but we don't try everything. It's still still, I'm still blown, still blown away after all these years of ministry, maybe I'll, I'll quit being naive one of these days and, and, I, and I'll become a realist and it still blows my mind when people come to me and say, I did everything. and I'll say, "Did you do this?" And they go, "Oh, no, but I did everything, no, you didn't. I see it all the time in married couples, they're struggling, did you go to did you did you did you? No, well, but I did everything. I did everything, baby. I've done everything I know to do. Really? Did you go to counseling? No, I didn't do that. We don't like each other. Exhaust every effort. See, peace doesn't just happen. It requires us to extend and exhaust every effort. We have to go out of our way to make it happen. Peace is never easy. Fighting is easy. Speaking your mind. How many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just so we know. Just so we know, because I'm going to raise my hand. How many of you is it's extremely easy at the drop of a hat to speak your mind? I got an opinion, and I want to share it, right? That's easy. It's it's easy to to fly off at the mouth. It's easy to disparage people. It's easy to tell people off whether they know you're telling them off or not because some of y'all do it in the car after you get out of the parking lot and then you tell them off but you're still telling them off. That's easy. Peace is never easy. Peace requires a four-letter word that we don't like very much anymore, work. We must exhaust every Every effort to keep peace. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I'm going to tell you how to do that. But let me just give you another pointer real quickly. Uh, Paul uh, uses an incredibly important word here in Romans chapter 12. It's a small word, but it's crucial. It's the most important word in the whole sentence. It's two letters. If. If If it's possible. If it's possible. If you've trusted, proven track record. If you've exhausted every effort. Then he says, if it's possible. He must have come to this conclusion. He must have concluded that there may be times when it's not possible. All right. Everybody get out a piece of paper and a pen. I want you to write it really big and hold it up so we all know, okay? I want you to write the name of the person that it's impossible for you to have peace with. I want you to just hold it up. can see it we're going to hold it up to the cameras so but paul must have understood that all of us would have these people in our lives that it was impossible he 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 recognized that that sometimes you just can't make it happen you ever been there ever run into somebody that it was not possible you've done everything within your power you've trusted proven character you've gone out of your way you've exhausted every effort and yet peace remains unattainable ever met those folks there's no possibility for restoration there's no chance of reversal it, that is a frustrating place to be you know like you want to sign a peace treaty but they keep throwing twitter bombs at you you're ready to like sign the peace treaty for life and they're still in, they're still like throwing facebook jabs you know they're talking about you you know they're talking about you when they put that quote, you know they're talking about you? They verbally assault you. Y'all, some of y'all looking like y'all have had a really easy life. Y'all ain't never had nothing like this happen. But if you live long enough, there are going to be people that you're going to come into contact with and you will have done everything within your power to keep peace. And it will not be possible. Fortunately, Jesus gives us, he steps into the fray and he gives us uh, what to do when peace is not possible. It's found in Luke chapter 10. He's giving his disciples traveling instructions. He talks to them about traveling light. Don't take a lot of luggage. Don't take a lot of resources, all this stuff. And he makes this statement. He talks to them about the fact that he says, I'm going to send you into these villages to preach the gospel. And he says, when you get there, try to find the man of peace. Someone that will receive you. And when you run into somebody that's not willing to extend peace to you, this is what he says, take your peace back. I don't even have time. Some of y'all just need to take your peace back. You've been been offering peace, 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 peace. Every effort's been made, and they keep rejecting that and, and stomping on that. Take it back. And then he makes this statement. When you run into an encounter like that, he he gives a great statement. He says, after you've done that and you've taken your peace back, take your shoes off and dust them off. When we aren't received with peace, when when, when, when there's no peace returned, then what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to dust off. Dust off. When we receive no peace in return, we are to live in such a way that the dust of those broken, rejected, shattered relationships don't build up on us. You understand that if you keep giving peace, keep giving peace, they have a, tra- a proven track record of, of 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 deceit. They have a proven a proven track record of war. They have a proven track record that they'll throw you under the bus. But you've made every attempt. You've made every phone call. You went and sat down. You took a you took a witness with you. You've done everything you know to do, and they keep rejecting peace. If we're not careful, if we don't take our peace back and dust off, it becomes like a residue that builds up on us and here's what happened you take the residue of that broken relationship and you carry it into every other relationship that you try to develop some of y'all having trouble in your current relationships not because your current relationships have issues, but because past relationships had issues. And the dust that built up on you then that you refused to get rid of, you've been carrying it out and carrying it with you, and you offload it on somebody else. Some of y'all paying a price right now, not because you've done something wrong, but because somebody else did the person you're in a relationship with wrong, and they won't let them live it down, and they won't let you live it down. Dust off. Dust. Taylor Swift, the great theologian, let's just shake some stuff. Let's ju- we need to just shake some stuff. <laughs> the residue, the dust of those folks literally keeps us from being able to continue our journey. I am convinced of this. I, I'm convinced that if some of us would quit having dust, we would quit having dust-ups if we would have some dust-offs. I can't even say that fast. Some of us would quit having dust-ups if we would have dust-offs. There are some people in your life that after every effort's been made, you will have to come to the place where you just go. And according to Paul, I give them a wide berth. And I stay away from them. So here's the question. If people are inclined to fight, maybe I ought to take the word if out of that one. People are inclined to fight. Word. Selah. Whatever I need to add to it. Don't you know that? People are inclined to fight. They are inclined to fight. War, according to Jesus, is inevitable. Offense is sometimes easier to pick up than to ignore then how in the world is it even possible to live in a war-hungry land and deal with bloodthirsty people and remain at peace? How? How is that even possible? Well, here's where I'm trying to get to today. In every single epistle, in every single letter that Paul wrote, in every one of them, and I'm going to prove it here in just a second so you don't think I'm lying to you and be offended to go home mad at the preacher. I'm going to prove it to you. You're going to have an assignment. You're going to go read these for yourself. In every one of them, in every, there's that Greek word again, every, every one of them, in every, every time Paul writes a letter to churches, to Christians, In every one of them, the reason he's writing them is because they're at war. In every one of them, there's some factional strife inside that body of believers in those relationships that he's addressing some of them are fighting there's arguments about jews and gentiles there's arguments about circumcision there's arguments about gifts there's arguments about how a slave should act in response to an owner and how an owner should treat a slave there are arguments about all these different things there's war everywhere in these bodies in every one of them and what paul does is he uses a phrase that he makes up. It never appears anywhere before this. He makes it up. He literally designs this phrase. He coins this phrase, and he uses it when he addresses them. And when he uses it, he is literally developing in their mind a countercultural, I like this better, a kingdom culture, a kingdom climate. He's instituting a kingdom climate. those bodies alright in this phrase there is a glimpse, there's a nugget that will teach us how to make it when everybody around us wants to fight to the death, but let me do your homework first, here it is he speaks a prayer, a blessing, it's a salutation it always happens right at the beginning most of the time and he says it over these people here's here's your assignment, go read these I'm gonna go fast. You better write fast. Romans 1:7, 1 7. First Corinthians 1 3. Y'all ain't never gonna keep up. Second Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1-2. Galatians 1-3. My mom knows shorthand. Mom, you ought to be writing these down so you can tell everybody after church because they're gonna come and ask you now. Ephesians 1-2, Philippians 1-2, Colossians 1-2, see a pattern. 1 Thessalonians verse 1, Second Thessalonians 1 2 Thessalonians 1-2, 1 Timothy. 1, 2, 2 Timothy 1, 2, Titus 1, 4, Philemon 1, 3. Same phrase in every epistle because they fighting to the death. And you know what he says? Here it is. He makes this statement. Grace and peace to you. And I started thinking about it. When Jesus left the scene, he says, Peace I give unto you. Right? That's what he says. Paul comes on the scene, and he's dealing with all these folks that have been born into the faith because of the peace giver. And he steps into the fray, and he says, Jesus left peace with you. But I'm going to add to it, and I'm going to create a new condition and a new element of this, a new equation. Now not just peace, but grace and peace. Be unto you. Because I think what Paul knew and recognized is this. You will never be able to have peace unless you have grace. I submit to you this morning that a lot of us want peace, but we never extend grace. I'm preaching my stinking guts out right now. I'm telling you, I'm not sweating very much, but I'm telling you, I'm preaching right now. A lot of us want peace, but we refuse to offer any grace. And I want to tell you this morning, I can almost guarantee you, if you have a peace shortage, it is a direct result of you having a grace shortage shortage we want everybody to live at peace with us but we will not give anybody any grace so then when they mess up it's war paul says look stop you can keep peace if you would just offer any grace the writer of the hebrews book of hebrews comes along and he combines both concepts again In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, he he makes this powerful statement. He says, make, I don't like this one either, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Listen, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The writer of Hebrews comes back and he just reiterates what Paul's already been teaching. He says, Look, you need to live at peace with everybody. But how do you get there? You 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 keep each other bathed in the grace so that no root of bitterness may grow up and ruin the whole thing. Listen, uh, a lot of us walk around with the root of bitterness simply because we want peace. Oh, I just want to love everybody. I wish I could love everybody. I want everybody to love me. I want everybody to be nice to me. I want everybody to talk. I want them to like offer me a cup of coffee and I want them to open the door and I want to write them nice notes and I don't want them to park so close they dent my car. Y'all quit parking so close to my car. And uh, and uh, and I want, I want, I want And yet, when they don't live up to the peace without the grace, there cannot be peace. The only way we can live at peace is if we have grace. And I am submitting to you today that as people of passion, if we can ever learn to be gracious people, We could be peaceful people. Y'all need to know. I'm just being. <laughs> Y'all need to know. That's a hard one for this guy right here because my gifting is prophetic, black and white. You either do what you're supposed to do the way it's supposed to be done, and or I will be. But I'm learning that not everybody can live up to my standards and that my standards aren't necessarily everybody else's standards. Therefore, it is important for me to offer grace. Who do you need to offer grace to so that you can live at peace with? You'll never get there. You will never, ever Go buy all the olive branches you want. You will never have peace if you don't have some grace. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I just give you some grace this morning. I just give you some grace this morning. I told you last week that in order for us to make it through this kind of world that we were going to have to have an increase in discernment, I submit to you as we close this series out this morning, that we must not only have discernment, we need a heaping, helping dose of grace. The person sitting next to you that you love so much right now and are so glad you're going to church with, at some point in this journey, y'all, they're going to take you off. I'm just, I love all of you. I love you all. I know when you're not here. Some of y'all don't believe that ask my pastoral team, can I name them, Stuart? Every one of you. Every time you miss, every stinking lunch. Would y'all quit doing that so I I can enjoy my lunch? Because that's what I do at lunch. I love you all. But most of you are going to tick me off at some point. And I'm going to tick you off. And my pastoral team is going to tick you off. And the person parked next to you is going to tick you off. And the person sitting next to you is going to tick you off, and we have a choice. I'm going to switch services. I went to I went to church with people like that in North Carolina. Literally, literally. I watched a woman on a regular basis. One lady coming down the hall that she hadn't spoken to. They both been a part of that church for what twenty years. I literally would watch one of them we had this long hallway with classroom doors and I would watch her. There was always two doors in each classroom down the hall. I would watch them do this. One would be coming down the hall. They'd spot them. They'd go in the classroom, go down the, the, the classroom and come out the other door so they didn't have to talk to one another. So we have a choice. We can act like idiots, like middle schoolers. Or we can grow up offer each other grace knowing that the person next to us is going to blow it it's inevitable we're human but i want to be at peace with you and i want you to be at peace with me so i'm going to extend grace to you and i expect you to extend grace to me and when we do that there's a blessing the bible says that where there's unity a blessing Resident. Father, this morning, my prayer is simply this: Teach us to live at peace. We understand that in the climate that we're living in today, where everybody wants their own way and demands their own rights, that more times than not, there's war. But this morning, I'm praying that over this group of people, we we saying it: We need you. We need more of you more than any time in our life. I, I said it this week. I've never seen a day like this where we can sit in service after service and hear the truth, amen the truth, Facebook the truth, but never apply the truth. I've never seen a day quite like this. What I realize is I've got to have more of you. If I'm going to navigate wars and then live up to the name, civil wars, if I'm going to have a war, I want it to be a civil war. If I'm going to do that, I need more grace. I pray over each husband, each wife, each parent, each child, that in our homes, each sibling, in our homes, we would be grace-filled. We recognize that the people closest to us can inflict the most damage. Help us to offer grace so that we can live at peace. God, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our work, I pray that we would be grace-filled. When people want to fight, we trust proven character. We exhaust every effort. We check their heart against their day. And we make a decision in that moment to either give them a white berth or we dust off and we walk away and we refuse to fight. Help us, God, I pray. Father in this house, in this community in this body, this family that you continue to assign different people to we don't get to choose family, you choose you send people here and not everybody you send is just like me and not everybody you assign shares common ground except for this we can choose to be grace filled and so father this morning I'm praying over this body I pray in the name of Jesus that not only would we have an increase of discernment I pray that in the name of Jesus we would have an increase of grace and we would give great grace like it says in Acts great grace was upon them all let this be a house full of great grace And when we could be offended we could be hurt and we could be divided and relationship could be broken. I pray that instead grace would be applied and peace would rule and reign in this house. And out of that a great anointing and blessing would fall. I ask you to accomplish this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you raise your hand real quick? Let me bless you and then I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Andrew. Father, I bless my folks today. Peace. Grace, grace and peace, unseparated be upon them. I pray they would walk in this. It wouldn't just be a sermon. They would walk in this. I ask it. Bless them with grace and peace today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, as my ushers get in position to take up.